0: One scripture that always is familiar around revival time is Psalms 85 and 6. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Sounds like there were a bunch of people who lost their joy, lost their praise. And so the psalmist is asking for them to be revived. And that definitely is a well-spent reviving. God's people ought to be a happy people. They ought to be a rejoicing people. I know there'll be times when we're down. There'll be times when we're up. But when it comes to worshiping God... Usually the note that ought to be hit is that we are rejoicing in the things of God. And then Isaiah 57, verse 15, the prophet says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. Who does God dwell with? those that are of a contrite spirit and those that are humble. And then he goes on and he says, a humble spirit. Then he goes on to say, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. I think everybody will agree that when it comes to revival, when it comes to spiritual awakening, it will just be a matter of time before we're going to need both. We can just go so far in a world like this with all the pressure, all the difficulties, all the things that are coming on our nation bringing a lot of stress, a lot of turmoil, a lot of anxiety. But if you were revived last year, six months ago, the chances are good that you will need to be revived again. If you were awakened a year ago, spiritually awakened, the chances are that you will have to be awakened again. And this is what's so sad. We don't seem to be able to learn from the past. We, we just don't seem to learn from our mistakes. Look, look at us as a country. We're stumbling over the same things for over 200 years. Over and over again. We just keep making the same mistakes over and over again, and look at all the nonsense that we've gotten used to in the last two years. Look at the darkness and the stupidity and the nonsense and the ungodliness that we as a nation are getting used to. The danger is when the church gets used to the darkness. When we start getting used to things that we ought not to ever have gotten used to. But we're getting used, we're being conditioned, and we all know that. Americans were like lost sheep in the last two, two and a half years. And they've been conditioned to do things that weren't even required by science, weren't even required by law, weren't even required by the Constitution. But they all lined up and they just started one sheep following after another. We just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And it's just a shame. And we've gotten used to in many states, in many states, we've got used to wearing masks when most of the time the science showed otherwise. Having to wear masks in airplanes when there's absolutely no science that says that's necessary. Putting two and three and four and five-year-olds wearing masks, creating more problems, more anxiety. The kids are missing school. Uh, They're being dumbed down. And it's just one problem after another, just multiplying on top of one another. A lot of states got used to riots and looting and burning and destroying cities based on false information, based on false premises, based on stupidity and even people, their own race, their businesses were destroyed, their lives were destroyed, their livelihood was destroyed, and many people were killed. But we got used to watching it. Some states got used to allowing it. I'm going somewhere, don't worry. Many got used to breaking laws just walking in and robbing drug stores and robbing department stores, robbing clothing stores. We've got used to open borders. And now 100,000 of our kids every year die with fentanyl. We've gotten used to all these negative things going on. When I say we, I'm talking about those states and those people who are lined up as sheep, and those people that don't know what's going on in America. Invasions. We've gotten used, and this pertains to a lot more people, we've gotten used to gross, drunken immodesty on America's beaches during spring break what what they do on those beaches is ungodly immodest is is at an all-time high we've gotten used to a lot of things we've gotten used to men dominating women in women's sports we've gotten used to all these new slogans that they're writing on the streets uh, and in front of uh, uh, the main streets in New York City and the main streets in Seattle and the main streets here and the main streets there. 10,000 black lives didn't matter in 2020 when those lives were taken by other black brothers. Where was the BLM movement? Where's the truth? Where's somebody gonna stand up and speak the truth? What's going on? We're being dumbed down. BLM, $60 million has been stolen. And they found a part of it because those that were running it built multi-million dollar homes. And nobody's doing anything about it. Why? Because we've gotten used to darkness. We've gotten used to things that are wrong. We've gotten used to. uh, All kinds of things. That we should never have gotten used to. Look at the teachers. The teachers. That are teaching all this ungodly stuff to their kids. I listened to one teacher today. Oh, l- boys and girls, uh, you just got to know that uh, when, when, a, when a baby is born, then a doctor, some, somebody has to make a decision what they are. Whether they're a boy, whether they're a girl, whether they're a transgender, whether they're this or whether that. We've gotten used to rank stupidity. And the bottom line is, the devil is back of it all. We've gotten use to entertainment that's as vulgar as vulgar can be. It's on every one of our little kids' phones. And all they got to do is just mention the word. And mom and dad, a lot of them don't know what's going on. But it's never more dangerous getting used to the darkness and getting used to things that are ungodly or even things that may look legitimate but they're pulling you away from God. It's never more dangerous whenever we get used to things that have eternal consequences. The saints, they get used to attitudes. They throw their attitudes at one another right and left. They've gotten used to it. They with me. We've gotten used to the darkness. We've got used to our bad habits. And it's never more dangerous than when we've gotten used to things that jeopardize our eternal souls that's why we need revival that's why we need awakening if you're a church and you don't ever have revivals i feel sorry for you because every church needs a revival every church needs a good stirring Every church needs to have a lively pulpit and lively pews. We're living in a culture that has become desperately dangerous. And it's never more dangerous than when it affects our spirituality. Believers get used to missing worship. I don't know what percentage of this congregation, but it's way too high for me. They've gotten used to missing church, missing prayer meeting, missing revivals, missing camp meeting. It's never more dangerous than when you start getting used to darkness that's going to have an influence and a powerful effect on your soul. Why do you think the Bible calls people up here the watchmen that are on the wall? But a lot of watchmen that are behind our pulpits in this country are asleep. And the reason I'm preaching it to you tonight is because you're not the guilty ones. You're the good ones. but take the message to the ones that need to hear it. Amen? Calvin Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge went to church one day, came home, and his wife said, Calvin, what did the preacher preach on? He paused, he hemmed, he hawed. Oh, he, he preached on sin. Well, what did he say about sin? Oh, uh, he's against it. People don't absorb anymore. but they can watch a, a sitcom. They can watch a ball game, they can watch a movie. I can tell you, every actor, every actress, and just when this happened, just when that happened. But when you ask them what happened in God's house, I just built a good, solid foundation for why we need revival. Do you agree with me? Sure you do. Speaking of missing Bible study... Speaking of missing prayer, speaking of missing key services, and, and I know there's times you're going to miss and you've got to do this. I, I understand that. I, I've been very, very flexible. Even our leaders have missed, and it's understandable. Sometimes there's something going on that's out of the ordinary. They've asked me. I said, yeah, go ahead. Because I've got confidence in them that they'll get back on the road. Speaking of missing Bible study, somebody said, a Bible that's falling apart is a good indication of a life that isn't. You see all these things I got here paper clips and all kinds of clips and bobby pins. Look in here. I got pages that are taped together, I got one or two pages ripped, just ripped right out. Well, not because I didn't agree with the Bible; it just, it just I got a bad Bible. I got scribbles all over it. What's the difference? I asked my wife this question. She's just too smart. I said, "What's the difference between an awakening and a revival?" And she answered me exactly what I had written on my notes. The difference between an awakening and a revival, America needs a spiritual awakening while the church needs a revival. That's the difference. Sinners need to be awakened. But the church needs a revival. An awakening is when God's Spirit awakens sinners to their need of God. A revival is when a church comes back to life, comes back to being what God intended it to be. When worshiping God is the priority of our 52 weeks a year, when living holy is the priority of our life, when the spiritual duties become our daily lifeline, that's when church has revival. I forgot to ask the people on Sunday morning that were here, and thank God for them. It was good to see every one of them. But I wanted to challenge them. Hey, you got to church one Sunday. Next Sunday, we're gonna have a revival. Let's have the same amount of people to start our revival. And on top of that, there's food. When worshiping God is the priority of our lives, when living holy is the priority of our lives, when the spiritual duties become our daily lifeline, that's when the church is being what it ought to be. Listen to R.A. Torrey, a great evangelist, what he said. He said, I can give a prescription that will bring a revival to any church, any city, any earth, uh, uh, any city, any church, any com- community on earth. He said, "I can guarantee it." He says, first, you need a few Christians who are completely and thoroughly right with God. That is a must." That's the first thing you need. If you're going to have revival, you've got to get a few saints together that are really, genuinely, and completely saved. Secondly, let them bind themselves together in prayer. Pray for revival. Until revival happens. Until the heavens open until God shows up. And thirdly, let them put themselves at the disposal of God to be used as he sees fit and winning sinners to Christ. And in no instance, Tory said, has this prescription ever failed? Get right with God. That means this way and that way. We go that way, but we don't ever go that way. Get a handful of people together who really and thoroughly and completely are right with God. Then get them into a prayer meeting. And then let them say what the Apostle Paul said. Lord. What wilt thou have me to do? How bad do you want to see revival? How bad do you want to see some of your children. Some of your loved ones awakened? You see. It costs to have a revival. Get right with God. Get together with other Christians. Pray for revival. And make yourself available unto God. We all know it takes God. We all know it takes God's spirit to do the hard part, the miraculous part. It takes God's spirit to awaken people, for people to see themselves as God sees them. And I want to tell you, that's a great moment. Whenever the church can see themselves as God sees them, that's a fabulous moment. But we look at ourselves through what others think of us. We look at ourselves through what we see in the mirror. But if we're going to have revival, we've got to come face to face with a living God who knows the deep secrets of our hearts. One man said it well. Revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented. He shows up himself. And never has God been more misrepresented than he's been misrepresented in this world today. What you're talking about? Well, I sin, you sin, we all sin. You're misrepresenting God. And I know you think you got it covered, but there's nowhere in God's word that He tolerated, ignored, or winked at sin. Nowhere! You all know Nehemiah, and it's a great chapter, great book about revival. And it says throughout the book, the seventh, the eighth chapter, and so on, you know, they started to build the wall. You start building the wall, you start closing the breaches, what happens? Sanballat and Tobiah is going to pay you a visit. And they're gonna do everything they can to stop you from closing the breaches and building the wall. And then they started to build Jerusalem again. What? Why did that have to be built? Because something great was about to happen. Up the road a ways, a few years up the road, something great was going to happen. What? The Son of God was going to walk the streets of Jerusalem, go into the temple, preach the word of God, heal the sick, and spend a whole lot of time inside of the walls of Jerusalem until they crucified him outside of the walls. So they built the walls of Jerusalem and its structures because there were dependable people who wanted to build for God. The greatest ability is dependability. There are many people in this church who I can give them a task. I can give them a task to do it, And they'll do it, and they'll do it right, and I don't have to worry about it. Every pastor loves dependability, loves somebody that can take the bull by the horns and take care of the business. And we have people like that in this church, thank God. Brother Wilson used to say, told me, he said, Brother Tony, if you want God to use you, you want to be used by God. He said, the first thing you do is you take care of all the little things. Take care of the little things in your life that ought not to be there. Take care of the little things that you're neglecting. Take care of keeping your prayer life where it needs to be and keep your Bible study where it needs and keep your walk with God where it needs to be. And he said, if you take care of the little things, then God will entrust you with the bigger things. Boy, I found that to be true. You want to have a good revival? Revival? Then be faithful in the little things. Go hitch the wagon, James. It's Sunday, go to meeting time. Bring somebody with you. Pray for the meeting. Clear your schedules out. Clear your head out. Clear your heart out. Clear your kids' schedules. Because some things are more important. And you all know I work with them. I tolerate them. And I work with them because I can see in those people dependability. They'll be back, they'll work harder. But let the Lord lead you, right? We all have a role to play when it comes to God's programs. What happened when they were getting the walls built? Closing the breaches? Sanballat and Tobiah said, If a little fox jumps up against the wall, knock it over. There's no way they're going to get it built. That's what one group said about this church. Only they put a little more adjectives in it. They'll never get it burnt, uh, built. It's going to burn to the ground. And that's what they wanted. Oh, the love of God was just gushing out of them. What happened when Ezra, it goes from Nehemiah to Ezra. What happens when Ezra brought the book, got the dust knocked off it, found the book. And he started reading the book from the early morning all the way to the evening. And when the people heard the book, the laws of the book, The wonderful things in the book, they were standing all day and they were rejoicing. America will never get on its feet until they find the book. Not the Book of Mormon, not the Watchtower's book, not Ba'a'ulah's book but the book. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Revival is waking up from sleepiness. It's waking up from bad habits. It's waking up from shortcomings. It's waking up from sin. How do we bring and have a revival the answer is in the god, in the word of god we have when we want what god wants us to have how are we going to have a revival how are we going to get back how are we going to get back on top of things when the people Have a hunger. When Ezra brought that book out. They hadn't heard it. For a long long time. And when he started reading the book. They were crying. They were worshiping God. They were hungering. And thirsting. For the things of God. We won't have a. We may have good speakers. And they may rattle the cage a little bit. But if we're gonna have revival, there needs to be a gnawing hunger going on in each one of our souls. A gnawing hunger for the truth about each one of us. Lord, what do you see in here? What do you see in this head? What do you see in this heart? What do you see in this home? And a hunger for God to have his way in our lives. A hunger in our souls to please God, to love God, to want more of God. So let me ask you, how hungry are you? Did you express your hunger to God this week about what potentially can happen in this church and in the community? I know we're all busy. Are you hungry for a revival? Do you need a good shot in the arm called revival? Well, the truth is, we all do. We all need a shot in the arm. If there was a time when you were more fervent, how how do I know I need revival? How do I know I, I need awaken? If there was a time when you were more fervent for the things of God than you are tonight, you need revival. Was there a time in your life when you read God's word more faithfully than you do today? Then you need revival. Was there a time when you heard the doors of the church are going to be open and your heart skipped a beat? But today when you hear there's going to be a revival, oh no. I got this, I got that to do. The kids got it. We got to do here. We got to do What? what? What are you talking about? The priority is getting God in the camp. Was there a time when you were more involved in church life than you are now? Then you need a revival. Was there a time when you shared the gospel with people more than than you do now? You need a revival. You know what I ask myself a lot when I'm preaching? When I'm digging a little? The devil's right here. You know what he's saying to me? You're just wasting your time. There ain't nobody raising a hand, shouting, saying amen. There ain't nobody excited about what you're preaching, preacher. That's what the devil's telling me. while well, I'm looking at you. Don't start chirping now. You'll give your position away. Save it for next Sunday. Amen? (laughs) I remember Brother Wilson preaching and he was laying it down and the congregation just looked like they just were anywhere but there. He said, I wish I had a bunch of lollipops. I'd just be throwing them out to all of you. Well, in my case, hand grenades. All right, I'm closing. How was it explained in Revelation two to the Church of Ephesus? And we 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 can put ourselves right in the text, Revelation two. I know thy works and thy labor. I know you work hard. I know you labor. I know that you can't stand them or bear them which are evil. I mean, I I go through fits and rages just watching the Fox News. And how you hast labored and hast not fainted. I, I see all that. Nevertheless, Jesus is saying, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left thy first love. What was the remedy? Three things. Remember. Remember from whence you have fallen. Look at the formula in Revelation 2 for revival. Remember, remember when your spiritual life was on fire, when it was enthusiastic, when it was thrilling. Remember when you were really enjoying your walk with God to the hilt. And then the second R, repent. First, remember what you were and where you are now. And then repent. Get right with God. Turn it around. And then do your first works over again. Repeat. Remember? Amen. Repent and repeat. I'm going to illustrate it for you with a marriage. My wife and I have been married well Yes, my wife and I have been married. Well, I've been married, let me put it that way, to at least four or five other women. Women, women. When I married her, look at those eyes. When I married her, she was 25 years old. Then my second wife came along and she was 30. And then my third wife came along and she was 40. And then my fifth wife came along, and she was 50. You see, she and I had been married five or six times to other woman, women, women. I changed. I was 26. She was 25. And then I turned 30. And she turned 29. And then I turned 40. And she turned 39. We changed. Just like all you have changed, too. We've changed. But we love one another as much after 51 years as we did when we were married. But I was married to four or five different women through that stretch. And so was she. How many are you catching on? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> There's an honest soul. <laughs> Amen? The point is, I've changed, she's changed, you've changed, we've all changed. But we've metamorphosed together through thick and thin. You know what makes this a spiritual church? It's our hunger for God. It's our hunger for this. It's our sweet fellowship that we have with one another. You mess with those three combinations. And you can turn this from a love boat into a battleship. Amen? Amen? What makes a spiritual church those that have a hunger for a word. You ought to see the things I see on a Sunday morning. People are hungering for God and then I'm looking out at the church and some people are doing this not just the yawn Sending good old fashioned signals. Amen. How about this? I know you like I know my own dogs. No offense. And you know me because we've been hanging out for a long time together and what about those that grab a quick nap and then And i have been inspired and i cannot tell you how many times i just told somebody last week or the week before nothing is more inspiring when you're preaching and you see someone who is absolutely hungering and thirst and enjoying the word of god they have a whole different expression they have a whole different expression and when i look at him i get inspired and i tell him after the service there was an the doctor's son was here troy the doctor's son was here easter sunday again kukulo uh, kudlo R. Kulo? Carl Kulo? He was sitting right there in the middle. And while I was preaching, he was like he was at a football game, cheering. He waved, you know, he he was into it. So where were you? Chillin'. You're my chillin'. <laughs> You're my peeps. I'm through. People go out after the sermon, <laughs> and there's something, and they say to me, Oh Pastor, that was a great sermon. And I'll say, I just started doing this to be ornery. I said, what what particularly did you like about the sermon? Did you ever see a deer in the headlights? Well, that's just a warm-up for Sunday. Let's have a good revival. Let's bring who we can bring, call who we can call.